There are a lot of myths around non-competes. People think, well, there's not that many, and it must be these executives who have all top secret information about a company and should not go to a competitor. The reality is very different. 30 million people, nearly one out of every five workers in the United States are currently bound by non-competes. It has just been this fantastic way for companies to steal power, to steal wages from their employees. From the home offices of Civic Ventures in downtown Seattle, this is Pitchfork Economics with Nick Hanauer, the best place to get the truth about who gets what and why. I'm Nick Hanauer, founder of Civic Ventures. I'm David Goldstein, senior fellow at Civic Ventures. So... Nick, I, I can't really describe what it is I do for you, but if I wanted to do this for another really rich guy, I'm perfectly free to do that, right? You are at any <laughs> moment, at any time. Because <laughs> you never had me sign some non-compete or anything saying That's right. that I can't do this thing that I can't describe for yeah. somebody else who I can't describe. <laughs> yeah, you can you can go torture someone else anytime you choose, and it will be fine. And yet, Nick, for millions of low-wage workers, workers earning under $20,000 a year, they have been forced to sign non-competes to keep them from working for other companies. Particularly, it was predominant in the fast food industry and in the restaurant industry and other low-wage sectors. Absolutely stunning for those listeners who are not familiar with this practice, you know, a standard non-compete is uh, is one and a half to two years, and uh, the company requires you to sign it upon accepting employment, and it basically prohibits you from doing work similar to the work that you are presently doing uh, for any other competitor for a year and a half or two years. And obviously, this is great for the company that forces you to sign the non-compete, but it's terrible for you because, God forbid, you get an offer for a 25% increase in salary from uh, another company or a company headquartered in a place which is more convenient for you right. or a promotion with another company that will further your career all of those things are off the table if you have signed one of these non-competes. And so it massively decreases the power of the individual worker to improve their circumstances and massively increases the power of uh, the employer, which is what much of you know modern corporate America uh, would prefer. And and this was not always the case. Um, you know, it used to be that most workers didn't sign employment contracts at all. Yeah. Uh, only folks at the very top did. And it's something that developed over the last few decades during the neoliberal era. And these non-compete agreements, the explosion of non-compete agreements, particularly in the service sector, absolutely ha have played a role in suppressing wages over the past uh, 40 years uh, because they have dramatically diminished the power of employees to look for work elsewhere. 
and to negotiate for higher wages. That's right. And in this episode, we're not just going to talk about non-competes, which is something that companies force workers to sign, but an equally pernicious practice uh, that has been largely invisible to most people, which are the no-poach agreements that many of the, of the largest companies and largest franchise operations have in place, which precludes one McDonald's franchise or one Burger King franchise from hiring a worker from another Burger King franchise. God forbid that person would like to move closer to their home or get a promotion or a raise. Right. All of that ha has until recently been uh, precluded by these sort of internal agreements. It wasn't until relatively recently that I sort of learned that this practice now permeates the business culture, that every kind of company, you know, is forcing people to sign non-competes, no matter how junior the, the employee is and how little money they pay, no matter how ridiculous the idea is. It has just been this fantastic way for companies to steal power, to steal agency, to steal, uh, frankly, wages from their employees by intimidating people with these agreements. And today, I mean, I'm super excited that we get to talk to our good friend, Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson, about his work in limiting those no poach agreements uh, not just in Washington state, but around the country. Because if those no poach agreements sound like illegal collusion, they are. They're <laughs> illegal. Anyway, uh, with that, uh, let's get to our conversation with Bob uh, Ferguson, who is not just Washington state's amazing attorney general, but was voted by Time magazine as one of the hundred most influential people in the world because Bob basically sued the Trump administration for everything nonstop. And, you and, know. One, and it was like 39 in one. That's right. Just, yeah. just, just absolutely. You know, for listeners outside of Washington state, we are extraordinarily fortunate to have this guy as our attorney general. He is an amazing and tireless worker on behalf of the people and uh, and just a great guy, good friend. So um, so Goldie, let's uh, let's talk to Bob. So I'm Bob Ferguson, and uh, I'm the Attorney General for the state of Washington, and been in that job for about nine years now. Bob, today we get to talk about something incredibly important and near and dear to my heart, and very near and dear uh, to your heart, which is the practice of non-competes and other anti-competitive corporate behavior, they are an incredibly uh, pernicious practice if they apply to people other than senior executives. And you have taken a huge step here in Washington State and around the country to, to deal with this. So tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Sure. So a non-compete is between the employee and the employer, you know, there's a lot of myths around non-competes. And also there's similar agreements. One's called a no poach, which we'll get to right. a little later on. That's between sort of uh, corporate headquarters and franchisees that impact workers. Right. Uh, but these are, are related. But one thing I do want to say about non-competes is I think for a lot of your listeners, I suspect there are a lot of myths around non-competes. Specifically, I think people think, well, there's not that many and it must be these really super well-paid executives who have all these top secret information about a company and should not go to a competitor, right? And mm -hmm. share that information. The reality, as you 
guys both well know is very different. About 30 million people, nearly one out of every five workers in the United States are currently bound by non-competes. And that's according to the Treasury Department. Even more, oh, about 40% of all workers at some point in their careers are going to be bound by a non-compete. So, you know, this idea of this uber high-level executive being the folks impacted, no, it, it transcends all sorts of positions, industries, and even salaries made by individuals. I mean, the really pernicious thing that has happened, I mean, I think in, in the beginning, non-competes were probably not a terrible idea. They applied to the most senior executives, usually in technical industries. Yep. But, you know, and, and there is some reasonable rationale for requiring somebody who's in the top you know, in the executive suite at a large corporation who has a lot of, you know, obviously their job entails a lot of company secrets to not just learn all that stuff and go across the street and compete. Although there's an equally strong argument to be made that none of this should, it shouldn't apply to anybody either. Uh, but certainly you can, you can kind of get your head around defending that. What happened, of course, is that companies like Jimmy John's that make sandwiches started to require the people who made sandwiches for $7 and 25 cents an hour to also sign those non-competes. So they could not go across the street and make hamburgers or something like that, right? Exactly. Or go to Subway and make right. sandwiches. That, that's exactly right. In fact, just to put a, a very specific number on that, I think it's about 12% of workers who make less than $20,000 a year are covered by non-competes. I mean, that's startling. It is I mean, what, 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 shocking. What, what, what trade secret, what, what trade secret, what top secret information could those workers possibly have? And so you're right, Nick, that, look, one can have a policy conversation around high-level CEOs and executives and whether they should yeah. go to a competitor and have that information. That, that's a reasonable conversation. But let's be honest, the high percentage of workers who make under 60000 bucks a year, for example, who are covered by these is truly outrageous and has huge impact on our economy and those workers. Yeah, that's right. It basically is a way of signing away all your power to negotiate to your employer permanently. Yes. You basically cannot go across. I mean, you know, even the advocates of, you know, free markets, uh, I think would acknowledge that, you know, if you can't, if you don't have the ability to go across the street and uh, work for somebody else, then, you know, there is no free market. Right. And, and if you don't have that ability, then your employer doesn't have to worry about uh, you losing you to somebody who's going to pay you That's more. Right. So it's just a, a way to suppress wages even further. Yeah. What I find incredibly uh, both ironic and offensive about it, of course, is that you can imagine somebody who goes to work for a couple of years in a McDonald's and, and it's not a low skill job. There's a lot of skills that you pick up doing it. You learn how to do it better. And now you can't use those skills you've developed to go to another McDonald's. Right. That's exactly right. And now you're sort of getting into what, what's sort of these no poach agreements, right. right? Which are, look, as outrageous as non-competes are for many workers, which they are, you know, in, in that case, at least the worker is aware it exists, yes. right? It, it may be an unequal situation. You may not have any bargaining power. It may have little purpose, but at the bare minimum, at least you know it exists. When it comes to the situation you just outlined, Goldie, right? A McDonald's fast food worker who wants to shorten their commute maybe and go to a closer McDonald's, they have more time to spend with their family or get better wages or get a promotional opportunity. Those have been covered historically by what we call no poach agreements, which are slightly different because 
those are between the corporate headquarters of McDonald's and that local franchise. So I'm sitting here in Northeast Seattle, you know, my basement in my home and our local McDonald's, let's say somebody wants to make a move to a different McDonald's who's a worker at McDonald's. When they go apply for that job at that other McDonald's, they're turned down and they don't realize they're turned down because that franchise right. is forced by corporate headquarters to sign this no poach, not going to poach or take another employee from another McDonald's. But what the hell's up with that? When people talk about a rigged system in our economy, yeah. that's what that is, right? That's what that is. There, there is no law. We used to call that per- collusion, didn't we? <laughs> well, you, you know, and, and frankly, it, you're, you're not far off, all joking aside, because it became the view of my office when we started looking into right. this. And there's a backstory there if you want to get into it. We started looking into these no poach agreements. And when we did, my team came to the conclusion that they actually violated antitrust laws. Right. So to your point, it, it, it really is unlawful to restrict a worker's ability um, to move from one job to another. One of the great things about living in the state of Washington is all the great work that gets done here by our uh, political and civic leaders. And you did a bunch of really great things to make this better, not just in Washington state, but around the country. So take us through that. Sure. So um, while we've been involved on issues related to workers for as long as I've been attorney general, you know, I think it was several years ago now when we literally were sitting around my office, a group of us were sitting around the office, just having a brainstorming conversation about, hey, what more could we be doing in this area about workers? And my solicitor general, a guy named Noah Purcell, brilliant guy, said he had just read an article in the New York Times, lengthy article that focused on these no poach agreements we were just talking about and how these are these huge companies, the McDonald's, the Burger Kings, you name it, across many industries that require all the franchisees to sign them. And it talked about the economic impact and the personal impact on workers who are limited in terms of their ability to improve their situation. And so Noah brought this up and I said, well, let's take a look and see if that's legal or not. And my team looked at it. And as I mentioned, they came back saying, no, that's illegal. And so what we did, which is actually kind of interesting is as attorney general, I have the power to request information, essentially a subpoena from companies. If we have reasonably, they might be buying the law. So we just created a list of every uh, corporation had franchises in Washington state that had more than a few and sent them a request saying, give us your agreement with your franchisees. And we went through every single one of them to see if they had a no poach clause. It's a huge number that had them, nearly 300. Now keep in mind, these are huge corporations in many situations, and this impacted millions and millions of workers across the country. So what we did was we sent them a letter saying, basically, you need to eliminate this no poach provision, not just in all your Washington franchisees, but nationwide. Otherwise, your option is we're going to file a lawsuit against you. And so eventually, over the course of about a year, all of them eliminated these no poach agreements. And again, not just in Washington, but across the country, with just one exception. Uh, There was a, a Jersey Mike's that resisted. So we're not going to sign it. We're not going to sign it. We're not going to sign it. So we sued them. They were the one company we had to sue. And after a little while, they realized they were going to lose. And so they said, okay, we'll take your deal. And I said, well, you can have the deal, but now you've got to pay us 150 grand for the trouble we had. Suing. So, so they, so they wrote the check. So they wrote the check, but signed the same deal everybody else signed. You know, I, I don't think their sandwiches are very authentic New Jersey, but their attitude certainly was. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really true. I mean, and, and they were just so like how outrageous this lawsuit was. And so, in the end, they did, they had to pay for the privilege of resisting it. But uh, it, the good news is, 
you know, this has led other attorneys general, because of course there are some companies that operate maybe in, on the East Coast or in the South, and they're not right. in Washington state. So our agreements do not impact those entities, but other AGs have now done their own investigations in this space. And so really, when it comes to no poach provisions, just in the last year, thanks in large part to my team doing this work, we just made a dramatic dent, to put it mildly, on eliminating those no poach provisions and to the benefit of millions and millions of workers who now have that opportunity to go from the one McDonald's to another or the one hotel to another. They can now do that. And Bob, do you know, as a practical matter, it's one thing to take the agreement out of the fran- the, the, the clause out of the franchise agreement. Do you think it's changed practices? Yes, it has. So, so we follow up on these things uh, to make sure that it has. So in other words, now that, and, and if you think about it, I mean, there's no benefit to the franchise who's forced to sign this thing. If, if there is a worker they want who happens to work at another McDonald's, they want that person to come over and work for them, right? Yeah. If they've got that skill set they've developed. So it's not like the franchisees. In fact, we, frankly, what we heard a lot from those franchisees was, hey, look, I just signed this thing because corporate headquarters sent it to me. I, I don't necessarily like it. I just didn't have a choice, right? I didn't have a choice. I want to set my local franchise McDonald's right. here in Washington state. They sent me the form and said, sign on the dotted line. What are they going to do? Negotiate around that? No. So this is one of those situations where actually the franchisees, for the most part, did not actually have a problem. We had to deal with corporate to get rid of it. Interesting. And in the same time frame, the Washington state legislature also passed a law that basically prohibited probably a majority of non-competes, correct? That's exactly right. And so our state legislature, to your point earlier that, hey, we're fortunate in Washington state to have many elected officials who who are focused on this issue. And so that law was passed relatively recently, actually. And what it does is, I'm going to kind of oversimplify it a little bit if that's okay. But essentially it says, uh, if my memory is correct, that uh, that non-competes are essentially forbidden for workers who make less than, I believe it was $100,000 a year. Correct. Is, is where they drew the line on that. And so it's a really positive step. And so for your listeners, many states, of course, do not have uh, this effectively a ban on non-competes for workers in that in that area. Hey, talk to your local legislators. That's right. right. If you, in your state. And hey, if there's no poach agreements going on that you're hearing about, write to your attorney general. Your attorney general has the power to shut those down exactly in the same way that I did. The roadmap is there. The work is done. These corporations will cave if an attorney general writes a letter saying you need to get rid of this. It's unlawful. And so really, your listeners should feel, and I know, Nick, you empower people all the time with your yeah. work, which I appreciate. People should feel empowered to, to reach out to their elected officials and say, hey, let's pass this law on non-competes. Washington, others have done it. Let's get rid of these no poach agreements here that are impacting workers right here in our state. Is there uh, any opportunity for federal action on this? I mean, obviously, Congress can do what it wants. Do you, do you know whether this is something that the Biden administration could address via rulemaking? It's a, that's a great question, Goldie. Thanks for asking that, because the answer is yes. And so right now, fortunately, with the change in administration, uh, we have an administration who, frankly, cares about yeah. workers, right, and their future and their opportunities. And so the Biden administration has set a goal, Goldie, of eliminating or substantially narrowing these no-poach and non-compete clauses that have been so prevalent and pervasive uh, throughout our economy. And so uh, they've got a plan that says that is their goal. They've got it laid out. And so at that level with this administration, they're focused on that. In addition, the Federal Trade Commission has also been looking at this issue uh, recently. In fact, they hosted a workshop on this issue. Uh, More than one commissioner 
has expressed an interest in using the authority that commission has rather than waiting for a federal law. So I think we're finally seeing some movement. Um, in addition, you know, my team has gone back and testified back in Congress, back in the pre-COVID days, around the work we've been doing around non-competes in Washington state and no poach provisions. So I would say that there is a, an appetite amongst members of Congress and this administration and the Federal Trade Commission to frankly take the work that AGs and others have been leading on and take it to the federal level. Just to clarify, does the Federal Trade Commission have the rulemaking authority to limit non-competes federally? Yes. And so, um, in fact, I think it's uh, Commissioner Chopra, if I remember correctly, has actually expressed comments in favor of rulemaking and has written articles about this as well. And so, yes, my bio option to be an absolute expert on the intricacies of FTC. It yeah. is my understanding yeah, yeah. That, they have, that they have a role here and have rulemaking authority and have been specifically looking at making some changes along those lines. Yes. So to me, the non-compete agreement and the no poach agreement are sort of like two sides of the same coin. They're anti-competitive practices at the employee level and then at the corporate level and eliminating them, uh, uh, probably literally eliminating 99% of them should be our policy goal, right? I, like I if think, yeah. 1%, if, if non-competes uh, applied to the top 1% of earners and workers, I think we would be in a fair a fair place. But are there other pernicious practices that you know of that are similar that we don't understand or talk about? It's so I, I believe so. Let me just one thing I just want to kind of mention on, on the point of the no poach and the non-competes is, is when it comes to no poach, not only is it bad from a policy standpoint, Nick, what I would say is we believe they are unlawful. Yeah. Just to be clear, like right. illegal. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and I, I, I think well, what indicates my team is right about that is the fact that it was over 200 of some of the most powerful corporations in our country around the world with the most sophisticated legal counsel at their disposal. And when we wrote them a letter saying, Hey, Burger King, we think what you're doing is unlawful. Either you get rid of them, we're going to sue you. Every single one of them, except, except for the Jersey guys Mike's, in Jersey, you got it. Except for the guys in Jersey. <laughs> hey, okay. So, yeah. so I want to be clear. So we, we, so we sent a memo saying, here's our analysis. And each one of them caved rather than fighting us in court, which speaks volumes about where they see yeah. what the law is, right? It was not in their economic interest to get rid of them. They didn't do it out of the goodness of their heart. Let's be no. honest. They did it because they're about to face a lawsuit and some bad press and penalties from a court. And so I would say from that standpoint, they're actually illegal. And, and that is why your listeners should reach out to their attorneys general, yeah. right? That this is, and it should be a bipartisan issue when it comes to no poach. And frankly, one last thing I'll just add on, on this is that I've read a lot about, hey, from corporate law firms who advise their clients, they put out newsletters and stuff, and they've written a lot about these no poach agreements and about our investigation. And they really warn their clients, look, get away from these things. You're asking for trouble. Yeah. And so I think that that's a real pause. And now look, on sort of the large other issues that are out there for workers, look, I, I guess what I would say is, uh, First, if folks are listening here in Washington State and they see something going on with the worker they know or for themselves, contact my office. If you're not sure if it's illegal or not, we want to hear about it. That's how many of our investigations start. Number two is, you know, I don't want to say it's quite like whack-a-mole, Nick, but we, we get rid of certain things like no poaches, but as you know, yes. you've written about, right? Other things come up. And so, you know, what I would say is we have recently concluded this no poach work in large part because we've now eliminated them. We're open to what that next thing might be yes. for workers here in Washington State and across the country. So welcome feedback from people about that. You know, we have ongoing investigations on issues that, as I think you know, we don't talk in Washington State about our investigations. So I right. got to be a little careful about that. But what I would say is that 
we welcome feedback from folks in our state, workers and the impacts on workers that we have in our community and to let to let my team know. In fact, as an example, you know, a non-compete case we brought was sort of bring this into focus was at a Mercury's coffee shop here in Washington state where they literally had a non-compete agreement for the baristas saying you couldn't go work for miles for a competitor within miles of Mercury's. These are people making 15 bucks an hour. And not only did they have those non-competes, they enforced them. One barista they sued to try to stop that barista from going to another coffee shop a couple miles down the road. Well, what the heck is up with that, right? Um, and so these are so damaging to workers. so crazy. Yeah, it is. That's the word for it's it. so petty. Just, just petty. But, but you know what's going on here is, and you guys know what's going on is you have such an unequal bargaining situation. Right. You're a barista. You need the job. You're trying to pay the bills, right? Or you're just a worker doing your life. They hand you a non-compete. Well, what the heck are you going to do, no, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? What are your options? As opposed to where you might have some valid non-competes where it's, okay, it's a high-level executive who can hire his or her own legal counsel to advocate for them in the negotiations with the company when they haggle out a non-compete. Well, now you've got a fair negotiating situation going on. We don't have that for 99.8% of the folks we're talking about. It really is just a bullying and intimidation tactic to lower turnover and keep wages low at the end of the day for a, for a low-wage employer, right? Because it's not like that barista is going to steal some secret and take it to the other company, you know, making a cup of coffee is a pretty well understood art. Um, yes. But it does put the fear of God into all the other employees who are now like, well, I guess I can't leave. Right. I guess I, I'm I, stuck here unless I want to change careers, which triples the friction for those people in the labor market. Right. Because now they you know, now it's not easy to go get two bucks more an hour, you know, across the street or something else like that. They have to, you know, really take uh, switching jobs much more seriously and be much more careful about it, which is just, it is just so egregious. And it is just, it's so interesting because it's just another one of these things that slipped into the framework of how American businesses managed themselves and their employees that is responsible for this giant transfer of wealth from the poor to the very rich. Yeah, you, I mean, I think you put your finger on something important there in that it's my sense from having now spent a fair amount of time looking at this and working on the issue is that for a lot of business like this Mercury's Coffee, my personal view is that they set up these non-competes for these baristas simply because they could. Yeah. Right? And that they had the power. Over Some the lawyer worker. told them that they could do it. Yeah. Bingo. That, that, I think that is exactly right. And so they did it because they could. And you are right. Isn't there an advantage for that Mercury's coffee shop? Or hell that, yes. I, I, hell, is that to your point, right? Hell and, yes. And look, in fairness, they have invested in that employee, right? And they don't want to lose that employee. But hey, maybe if you want to keep that employee, offer them a better wage. Yeah. So a competitor exactly. doesn't take them, right? Yeah. Offer them that promotional opportunity they're looking for with a competitor, right? Someone down the street. That's, right. That, that's the system we have in the United States, right? You compete, you compete. It's it's a level playing field, yeah. but you compete. The problem with these non-competes and no poaches is it tilts the playing field and the tilt's not the right word, right? Well, but it it's dramatically literally tilts. called a non-compete. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And, 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 and I thought the, the, the whole purpose of market capitalism was competition, right? <laughs> Yes. Um, and, you know, in the end, it's it's anti-capitalist, anti-market yeah. to impose these non-competes. You know, I've, I've got a, a broader cultural question for you, Bob. I know for decades, state AGs have focused a lot on consumer protection. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, your office does that still, but there's also this new focus on protecting workers. Is that is that just Washington State, or are you seeing this in AG offices around the country? That's interesting. I guess a couple of thoughts about that. So first, no, not just Washington State. That said, I think it's fair to say that some states have a greater, some AGs, some states have a greater focus on these issues than other states. I think that is more, and that, that can come from, for two different reasons, I think I'd say, Goldie. One is, in my office, we have a lot of resources that we built up to do this work on behalf of workers and consumers. We just have a lot of attorneys and professional staff. We just have a large operation to do that. Some AG offices are set up a little bit differently. And frankly, even if the will was there, they just don't have the resources there. Either their legislature hasn't invested or any number of reasons they, they just don't really have uh, the, frankly, the, the ability to do a whole lot in that space. Uh, the other way in which you don't see it being a priority is just the attorney general doesn't make it a priority, right? They have other priorities. And so that said, I would say that there's been an increasing focus in fairness, particularly amongst democratic attorneys general on these issues. So for example, I attend these conferences with my colleagues of, of both parties. And I think that in general, the role of the attorney general across the country has expanded. The powers of the attorney general are being utilized in ways that weren't even imagined 25 years ago, to be honest, right. among state AGs. Back in 25 years ago, a state AG was typically, well, we're sort of the quiet lawyer for our clients at the state, right? Now it's a totally different world as, as, your, as your listeners well know. And that includes this kind of work and frankly, as attorney general here in Washington, we were really not doing this work even just eight, nine years ago, to be honest with you, right? That this was literally being intentional about this, talking to our friends in the labor community, labor leaders, workers, you name it, having those conversations saying, hey, where do you see the gaps? Where are the problems and how can we help with the tools that we have? And so I do think that there is a greater awareness amongst AGs and a greater willingness to use the tools that they now realize they actually have. Yeah, that's so important. And it's just so powerful and so useful for attorneys general to help with these things to be you know like who else is going to do it who else is Bingo. on the side of mm -hmm. that barista right mm -hmm. that barista cannot afford to you know some fancy attorney to to defend their interests um it really does take um an office like yours to step in and try to level the playing field just such a powerful and important uh, example of, you know, a useful intervention by, by the state. That, that is exactly right. And, 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 you know, the barista, you're right, the barista does not have that ability to bring in an attorney. Right. That attorney has a little motivation to take a case like that. They're right. not going to make any money off a case like that. And, and when you get to the no poach, the worker doesn't even know it exists. So how the hell can they even advocate for the rights, even if they could afford an attorney, which they cannot, right? And so to your point, yes, the role of the attorney general is so important in this space because you are able to advocate for a group of people who frankly lack the resources to take on that Mercury's coffee shop or that McDonald's. That's yeah. where we can come in with the resources we have to get those subpoenas out the door, to send those, those friendly letters saying, change your practices or we're going to file a lawsuit against you, right? I love it. And, and, and that's what we can do. And AGs all across the country have basically the exact same power that I've got here in Washington state. So without encouraging you to talk about ongoing investigations, <laughs> okay. uh, what are the opportunities for your office to do more for workers uh, that you see in the future? Are there other things that you want to fix that we should keep our eye on? Absolutely. So I'd say a, a couple areas. So yeah. number one, 
just so your listeners have a, have a sense, my office has broad authority to advocate on behalf of workers. It could be your working conditions. Yes. We brought a lawsuit against the federal government for workers in Washington state, as you well know, but for those who may not know, we have a, a Hanford nuclear waste yeah. uh, site that has the most highly radioactive nuclear waste in all of, uh, of uh, the Western hemisphere. Workers there try to clean that up. They're exposed to, uh, to vapors there. Federal government who owns that facility was not adequately protecting workers with gear. We filed a lawsuit against the Obama administration saying this isn't right, and we prevailed. Yeah. So it can be literally taken on the federal government on worker protection issues. It can also be, for example, withholding wages from uh, workers. And we see that frequently where, hey, someone who's working as a waiter or waitress is not getting their tips. Their employer does not pass that on to them. Wage theft is going on and is far more prevalent than many people realize. So we can actually investigate companies that are doing that um, and bring lawsuits against companies, which we've done. We have even the ability to criminally charge uh, entities, companies who do that, which we've done as well. So again, to a listener here, if you're uh, in Washington state and you suspect you're the victim of wage theft, yep. give the attorney general's office a call. In fact, and that, that's so important because, sorry, just interject there, but yeah. really workers are our eyes and ears. They're on the ground. They're right. the one experiencing this. So we work closely with labor leaders, for example, because they often hear from their folks about what's going on, but a lot of folks aren't represented. Most, most so, aren't. Yeah. Bingo. And so for we want anyone to reach out to, if you feel you've not been treated fairly in any of these ways, your working conditions, your wages not being uh, sent to you, we want to hear about that because we do have broad power to do that. And by the way, also, we can advocate for changes in state law. In Washington state, believe it or not, if a company had will, been found to have willfully violated our wage theft laws, willfully been found to have violated our wage theft laws, Washington state still contracted with those companies. In other words, they could still compete for contracts with the state of Washington. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, what's up with that? You are a known wage theft violator. You've done that willfully, and you still get a contract with the state of Washington? I'm sorry, no. So I proposed a law to our state legislature saying, if you've been found to have violated those laws, you don't get a contract with us. And that passed, actually. So wage theft is a thing that just drives me crazy. And it is a, it is approximately a $70 billion a year problem nationally, which is, you know, that's a lot of money. Is it possible to criminally, is it only a civil penalty or are there criminal charges that can be brought? When we enforce it, primarily, we've used civil authority. Now, I don't want to get bogged down the details, but Washington, it's a little bit different in terms of the AG in Washington state is different than many other AGs in which I don't have, in general, criminal authority. I can get criminal authority if a prosecutor hands me a case. Okay. okay? So I don't want to get in the weeds too much. But whereas in some states, the AG is the criminal prosecutor or has a lot more criminal authority. Washington is just structured a little bit differently. So primarily, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but primarily we have civil authority, but we have had circumstances when prosecutors have referred cases to us, and then that gives us the authority. And so we can do both, but primarily in Washington state, it's been civil, but for other states, that could be very different. But in the state of Washington, if I, if I deliberately and willfully steal the wages of my workers, could I be held criminally liable? Could I go to prison for that? Absolutely. Your, your local prosecutor has criminal authority. You're stealing. You're stealing from somebody. Right. Right. And so, so local in, in Washington state again, right, in our 39 counties, those 39 county prosecutors, they have the criminal authority in our state. And so they have the ability to bring a case and charge a case if they feel uh, an employer is stealing wage theft, uh, is stealing from their employees. And look, let's, 
let's just be candid about it, right? I, I, I'm one of seven kids. I'm from a big Catholic family. You know, there's uh, six boys and one long suffering yeah. sister in my family. And I've got a brother who uh, spends much of his year up in Alaska. He's been doing that for God knows how many years going up to Alaska. And he's got a demanding job. And he works 16 hours a day, every day for months on end. And his work helps put fish on the table here in Washington yeah. state and across our country. Well, look, man, if someone was not paying my brother every dime that he most certainly is earning, you know, that would piss me off. Yeah. Right. I mean, a lot depends yeah. on his paycheck for his family. And my brother, John is not alone, right? Workers all across our country. And the idea that you're going to steal from my brother, John, who's up in Alaska right now, away from his family, working to help all of us yeah. eat, you know, that's BS. And so I take that personally. And that's the view that I've tried to instill in my team is, Hey, imagine that's your sibling, your kid, your parent, who they're not protecting with the right gear, or they're stealing the wages, or they're limiting your options to go to another company. That that's the way, make it personal, because that's how I feel about it. That's great. So, uh, Bob, we always finish with. Uh, 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 he may have he may have just answered know, the know, question I, before yeah. we asked it. Nick. Yeah, the, our question <laughs> is, you know, why do you do this work? And it, yeah, I think you just really successfully answered it. It's like, yeah, it's important to take this stuff personally. Well, it is. I mean, I look, I often have people say, hey, Bob, you're a hardworking guy. I, I laugh at that because I'm not even the hard work, hardest working guy in my family. That's my brother, John. <laughs> I mean, right? That's my brother, John. Like my work ethic, I think is pretty good, but it pales compared to him. That's just the truth. And and the idea, and that is true for so many workers yeah. in our state and across the for folks sure. doing the toughest work, the most demanding work at lower wages, right? Well, it's incumbent upon all of us as policymakers, as elected officials to be that advocate as we've talked about. Right. Because let's be honest, it'd be tough for John with all that he's got going on to be that advocate. Right. You need someone who can step in and has that power. And thankfully, it's attorneys general who have broad authority to step up and, and fight those fights. And, and frankly, that, that's the motivator for me. And, and it's, it's just so rewarding because you feel you're really making a difference in people's lives. And if you're interested in public service, well, uh, that's what it's all about. That's awesome. Well, Bob, thank you so much for being with us and for all of your work. This whole non-compete, non-poach thing is a really big deal to millions and millions and millions of people. And uh, it's super cool that you've, you know, applied your talent and energy to it. So thank oh, you. I really appreciate, appreciate what you guys are doing and just highlighting these issues for, for so many people across our country. It's so important. We've all got a role to play, whatever role that is. You know, my message is to people, your listeners, use whatever power you've got, right? That's how we make change in this country. Cool. Well, thank you for being with us. And Thanks, uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll chat soon. It's a deal. Thanks. Okay. Take care, Bob. All right. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. So Nick, you know, just to follow up on how important an attorney general can be. Yes. Pick pick out some of the numbers here from what we talked about. After Bob's office went after those no poach clauses, you know, went went and contacted corporations nationwide. 237 corporate franchisers, ranging from McDonald's to Jiffy Lube, signed legally binding agreements to end no-poach contracts nationwide. That's every company they went after, yeah. with the exception of Jersey Mike's, because, <laughs> you know, Jersey Mike knows a guy. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> right? They all just, and they eventually beat them in court, but yeah. they everybody else voluntarily agreed to end their no poach agreements, that covering 4,700 Washington locations and nearly 200,000 locations around the country. That's one AG from one state. Yes. 
improving the lives of millions of American right. workers. And and I think, I, you know, I want to reach this into, this has been a very specific, narrow conversation in a way, but I want to bring this out into more the economic theory side of things. Because, you know, and we mentioned this in talking to Bob, these no poach agreements and these non-compete contracts, I mean, literally non-compete, it's anti-competitive. We hear the free marketers talking about what you want is a free market. Yes. What is we want the market to be as free as possible. We don't want government interfering in our ability to make that market less competitive by preventing our employees from working for our competitors. Yeah. I mean, it is just yeah. totally crazy. Right. This idea that markets should be free except for labor markets where the employer should have as much power as possible. That's right. Uh, to suppress wages and yes. and and keep workers down. You know, I mentioned with Bob that historically, at least for the past several decades, AGs have played a pretty active role in protecting consumers. It is it is a side of neoliberalism that we focus on the interest of consumers and right. not on workers, ignoring the fact that all consumers are also workers. But I'd argue, and I think if if you believe in markets, that by eliminating these no poach agreements and these non-compete agreements, it's better for consumers in the long run because the market starts to work better. It's yeah. more competitive. These companies now have to work harder to retain their employees, to retain quality yes. employees, and quality employees provide better products and services. And in the end, the consumer wins too. Um, yeah. That is assuming you believe in markets. If you don't believe in markets, then... Uh, we have a whole nother conversation to have. That's right. You know, you go start talking to the socialists. Yeah. But don't don't tell me you believe in markets, but somehow this is interfering in markets to yeah. no, keep it's, labor it's, markets competitive. It's, it's utter nonsense. And of course, we you know, we know that the vast majority of people who claim to be free marketeers are nothing of the sort. They they are simply wealthy folks or corporate interests that just want to defend their narrow self-interest and any policy which helps with that, therefore, and any policy which diminishes their power or profits, they hate. And, you know, it, it, you will not hear the, as far as I know, the Heritage Foundation arguing that we should limit uh, non-competes. Uh, it's just not likely to happen. So anyway, fascinating subject. Definitely lots of work to be done at the federal level uh, and in other states. And, you know, I, I, I really do think that if non-competes apply to any, any more than the top 1% of workers, we've gone too far with them. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and Nick Hanauer. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks and peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. As always, from our team at Civic Ventures, thanks for listening. See you next week.